Good morning. It's, I'm proud and honored to introduce our speaker today. I came to Indiana Wesley in 1997 as the head baseball coach, and that year on the baseball team there were three freshmen, and our speaker today was one of those three freshmen on the team that year. His name is Brian Purvis. Brian was from Tipton, Indiana, local. Brian was a very big, strong young man, athletic, with a temper, and I think he would acknowledge that came to Indiana Wesleyan probably as a priority to play baseball at that stage of his life. His freshman year, the first time, uh, the two of us both, since it was my first year, the first time we faced together that other school across the county that shall not be named because this is a holy place. Uh, <laughs> first time we played them here at Indiana Wesleyan, we, got, we were tied a tight, tense, one-to-one baseball game in the last inning and had to make a change and brought Brian in to pitch in that last inning. And over the course of that inning, the umpire made a, what I thought was a fairly poor call. And after a lengthy discussion with the umpire, he decided that I needed to uh, finish the game somewhere else other than the field. Um, but Brian took over at that point on the mound, proceeded to pitch nine shutout innings, into the 16th inning before his teammates finally got him a run and we won the game. A first of many victories against that other school that we like to not talk about. But what I saw as I sat up in a press box not able to coach the team during those nine innings, what I saw was a different Brian from the hot-tempered, unpredictable young man. I saw a focused, poised, tenacious man on that mound. Now, Brian spent four years playing baseball at Indiana Wesleyan, but over the course, that's secondary to what happened to Brian while he was here. Over the course of his four years, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And that poised Brian, that tenacious Brian, that passionate Brian that I saw on the mound became who Brian was in his heart. And over the course of that time, his four years here, he felt the call to ministry. Upon his graduation from Indiana Wesleyan, he went to Asbury Seminary, earned his Master's of Divinity at Asbury. While he was at Asbury, he felt the call to ministry in the military, in the Navy. So from Asbury, he went to the United States Naval College, where he got his Master's in International Relations, felt the call to the chaplaincy in the Navy. Once he finished that, he had served in various places. He served at New Orleans Air Station at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina and served on the USS Mesa Verde. He currently lives in Annapolis, Maryland with his wife, Andy, who is also an IW alum and was a four-year student-athlete on our cross-country and track teams. He has two beautiful children, a son, AJ, who's seven, daughter, Sophie, who's four. His current duty for the Navy is as a chaplain at the United States Naval Academy. He serves some of our best and brightest young men and women at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, and he ministers to them as a chaplain to the 6th Battalion, and also as a chaplain to the Navy football team. Would you please welcome one of our own, Lieutenant Commander Brian Purvis. Thank you, brother. I Love appreciate it. that. Thanks. All right, good morning. Well, I need to have a commercial break here. I need to say that all views expressed today are my own and have in no way uh, represent the Navy or the United States government. So, after that, now we can get to the heart of the matter this morning. First of all, I want to say, Mark, thank you. Pastor John, thank you for having me. My teammates are back there in that row. I appreciate you all coming up and driving from some distance. Thank you guys for being here. 
Now, I know Lenny Lachetti, last week, I think, had the slide and go for chapel. We had the punch and go because we were old school. We had the cards, and they would punch. So we'd punch in there and then go out another door. So maybe he and I just need to confess sin from 20 years ago. So that's what I'm doing this morning. Not that anybody in here would ever think about slide and go. I, I don't think you guys would ever do that. To the four guys that I saw at Walmart last night, thank you for reminding me what it was like to be a college student as you stood there trying to decide how much and how many packages of ramen noodles that you could buy and afford. So if you're in here, I really appreciate that. It made me chuckle just a little bit. So how many in here was born in 1997? Oh my Lord, Tim Ferriss, we are old, my friend. Oh my goodness. Does anybody know, and I've got two uh, gift cards here, it's a coffee shop down the road. Does anybody know what the number one movie was in 1997? I'll give you a hint. Near... Who said it? Come get your card. There it is. I'll lay it right here. You can get it after chapel. Does anybody know in 2015 what the number one movie was? Star Wars right here. You can come get your card afterwards. Invest into somebody's life, and you'll know what I'm talking about when we finish up here. In 1997, gas was about 99 cents. Today, it's about buck eighty-seven. probably jumped up to 3 or $4 later on. The number one song at the time by Elton John, The Way You Look Tonight. What a, yes, give a clap for that song. That's a great song. The song uh, for 2015 was Hello by Adele. Anybody like that song? Interesting, the number one song is, uh, of the time, whether it's 97 or 2015, are about love. And I know one here ever comes to IW to find love, so we won't go there. I want to show a picture of my beautiful family, if you'll put it up on the screen for me. So that's my wife, Andy, uh, smoking hot wife. You know, at the time, in 1997, it was $10,000, I think, for tuition. Today, it's like $25,000 for tuition. So I like to say I paid $40,000 to find my wife. And some of you complain about paying $15 to take your girl to Taco Bell. So, you know, I paid forty grand. i would pay more than that for her. Somebody out there nudged their boyfriend. I saw that. So that's my daughter, Sophie, four years old. I love her to death. She uh, has me wrapped around her finger. And that's my little guy, AJ, who was seven, who comes up to my shoulder. They say he's going to be six, seven one day. I can't believe how big he is. So I've been married for 13 years. She's been my best friend for 16 years. You know, when I was here, three miracles happened. The first miracle that happened was I actually graduated. I couldn't believe it. In four years. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I graduated with a criminal justice degree, was going to be an interstate trooper, and then, as Mark said, I went down to Asbury to get my master's degree. The second thing that happened is I found my wife. That was a miracle that she even stayed with me and married me, so that was the second miracle. But the third thing that happened, and the most important, is I found a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that really is at the heart of the matter. We're going to look at Matthew 20 today. Matthew 20. I'm going to read from my Bible because I'm old and I can't see the screen very well. Matthew 20, starting there in verse 29, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, 
Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. There's different ways we could go with this scripture. If you came here this morning looking for an exegetical, hermeneutical type of uh, message, I'm sorry, I'm not. If Dave Smith was here, he would tell you, you don't want me teaching Greek. But there's two things I got out of this passage. And the first one is this. Those blind men obviously did not fit into the crowd. When they called Jesus' name, the crowd says, hey, be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. They're probably begging for money. And they say, don't bug Jesus. He doesn't have the time for you. But then something interesting happens. It's just two words. Jesus stopped. And he asked them a question. You know, I'm so thankful at my time here, there were some who decided to take a chance on a guy who didn't fit in. I wasn't Wesleyan. I didn't fit in the holy huddle crowd. And yet the men took time, and they stopped what they were doing, and they invested in my life, and they asked me questions. Hey, Brian, how are you doing? And they often ask me, how is your spiritual life doing? I'm, Dude, I'm doing fine. I didn't have one, but I would lie to them and tell them, hey, I'm just doing fine. People like Mark DeMichael and, and, and Coach Burchett. Is Birch here? Where you at? Birch, I love you, man. Pitching coach. He'd always bring us moon pies to practice. I loved it. It was great. Position players would get angry with us because the pitchers would go out and, you know, every five days or whatever it was, pitch, and we'd come back and play fungo golf and all this crazy stuff. So, Burst, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Invested into my life. Dr. Dave Smith, Gary Swires, who was a chaplain here at one time, took me on a mission trip my freshman year, knowing that I wasn't a follower of Christ, but he knew that he was planting some seeds in my life. And then I met this one guy. My first day on campus, I've been here 15 or 20 minutes. His name was Brian Bradford. And I'm kind of sick this morning, but you can hear my southern accent. This old boy is from Louisiana in the backwoods somewhere. I mean, he has a southern drawl to him. So I saw him, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? I said, hey, I'm going to buy a radio for my truck. Do you want to go? He stopped what he was doing, and he began to invest into my life. And so the relationships that I would build over the next several years began that day in Carmen Hall. Anybody live in Carmen Hall, ladies? Yeah, it used to be a guy's dorm. I thought it was co-ed when I showed up. <laughs> that tells you where I was at in life. I mean, my buddies were going to IU and Purdue and co-ed dorms. I thought it was co-ed dorm. Sadly mistaken, it was not, obviously. <laughs> in fact, I can tell you this, I lied my way into heaven. Do you guys have to fill out an application and put a testimony or something on there, talk about how God's working in your life? Yeah, I didn't know what that was. So I kind of had an idea sort of what it was. But then I went to the library. We didn't have Google back then. So I went to the library, got a book out, saw what a testimony was. And I'm going to confess another sin. I made up a story and put it on the application to get into IW so I could play baseball. But, yeah, I know it's sad, shallow. I'd say, hey, that's why we need Jesus. <laughs> What's interesting, the joke was on me because God had a plan and a purpose my life. I just didn't know it at the time. My first three years here at IW, I shamed the name of Christ by calling myself a Christian, yet I had no intention of living like him. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators, not of Steve Deneff or John Bray or the next cool guy that speaks or gal or your roommate. It says, be imitators of God. Now, how do you know how to be an imitator of God? Look at Colossians 1.15. What does it say? 
He is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know how to serve and, and, and be like Christ or be like God? You look at the life of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And I can tell you right now, I was not anywhere near. My roommate, Richie Clay, is here. Thank you, Richie, for coming. I appreciate it. He was my roommate my freshman year, and he can tell you I was definitely not following the life of Christ. So I guess fast forward a little bit to my junior year. I was an All-American that year, I think. I think it was honorable mention All-American that year. I think I even made the dean's list. I mean, for me, that was a big deal, so it was a pretty good year. And then I got a phone call from my mom. And she said, hey, I want you to know your father's been sick, and we knew that for a while. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Said the results came back. Your father has cancer. And they're going to have to amputate his right leg because the infection has spread. There's nothing they can do. They're going to amputate your dad's right leg. Now, understand, I didn't have a relationship with him. He treated my mom terrible. He never told us that he loved us. He never went to our sporting events. He never took us fishing or hunting. He was the father that I never wanted to be to my kids. A couple months later, my grandfather, who was our father figure, took care of us, encouraged us, bought us our basketball shoes, came to practices. I mean, he was our father figure. And a couple months later, after that initial phone call with my mother, we get a call, a second call, and she says, hey, Grandpa had a heart attack and he died. Now, that really hit home. Probably hit home harder than when my mom told me my dad had cancer because we were so close to him. So on Thursday, we go home for the funeral. It was on Friday. And on Sunday morning, about 2 o'clock, Tiffin's not too far away, so I decided to stay and hang out with my mom and do what I could to help her. About 2 o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call from the doctor. My dad had been in the hospital for a while because they were still trying to figure out some other stuff that was going on. And the doc said, hey, we have done everything we absolutely can for Bob. But the infection spread from his right leg to his left leg, and we're going to have to amputate his second leg. And it was that night, I think in between, I guess, my junior and senior year, that I finally said, God, if you are real, all these people talk about how great you are and how much you love us. I will give my life over to you, not just in name, but I want to have a relationship with you. You see, my coaches and Dave Smith and Gary Swires and Brian Bradford all understood that at some point in some time in my life, I was going to finally have to say, I can no longer live as someone who's being fake. I can no longer live my life the way that I want to. And they knew that if they invested into my life, that eventually I would come to have a relationship with Christ. So I called Brian the next day and said, hey man, I want to accept Christ and I want you to mentor me. So for the next year, he mentors me. And I graduated with a criminal justice degree. Again, the second miracle that happened uh, being, by graduating. Went to Asbury, got my MDiv, and then became a college and young adult pastor. I have a passion for those who are 18 to 23, 24, because I know how important it is. And the decisions that you have to make, not just job-wise, not just career-wise, not your, just your calling, but really this is the heart of the matter when, you, when it comes to if you're going to decide to follow Christ or are you going to continue to follow your own way? You know, sometimes the Lord prepares and tills the soil of our souls for something when we least expect it. In 2005, I'm in North Carolina as a college pastor. Get a phone call from my brother. He says, hey, you need to come home right now. The doctor said that 
dad's not going to make it another day. Hopped in the car, drove 12 hours from North Carolina to Indiana, and I get to the hospital. My brother's already there, and he's probably from here to the keyboard, maybe a five, eight-second walk. He says to me as he's coming, you need to go do your thing. Now, my brother didn't go to church. No one in my family is a follower, immediate family is a follower of Christ. He said, you go do your thing, and I knew what he meant. He meant I need to go in there and pray with Dad, because this is it. So that five to eight seconds, a whole lot can go through your mind. So many things went through my mind. So many things that I wanted to tell him. I wanted to give him peace of my mind. Like, why weren't you a better father? Why didn't you love us? Why didn't you take care of us? All that anger and bitterness. And then this thought came to my mind. I have loved you all those times that you shamed my name. And I've given you forgiveness. That you need to go forgive your father. And I couldn't believe that I was thinking those things. I know definitely it did not come from me, so it must have come from the Holy Spirit. So I walk through the door, and I walk in. There's my father laying there, and he's got tubes coming out of his chest. He's got tubes, a feeding tube in. Um, He can't really move a whole lot, but he could barely turn his head just a little bit. And his voice, he couldn't speak really. He was barely a whisper. In fact, I had to get down on my knee to be able to hear what he was saying. As I leaned in, he says to me, pray for me. Pray for me. And at that moment, I was able to pray with my father. And one day, I'm going to see him in a totally different light. Because a short time later, my father died of pneumonia from complications of cancer. You see, when you invest into someone's life, you never know who you're going to impact through that person. You see, an impression is something that is short-lived. An impact is something that lasts a lifetime. Sometimes we're so worried about impressing somebody, the clothes we wear, impressed by my academic ability, my athletic ability, the cars that I drive, the school we go to. And God says, I don't want you to impress people for the kingdom. I want you to impact people's lives for the kingdom. And so it brings me to where I am today. Been active duty now for eight years. I've had two deployments, one to Afghanistan, uh, one to the Persian Gulf. I've been blessed to do some really, really cool things. If you can, put that picture up for me of the baptisms. Yeah, so we're in the Jordan River here. My last uh, deployment went to Israel, and we had 22 Marines and sailors that we were able to baptize who gave their uh, lives to Jesus Christ, and we were able to baptize them in the Jordan River, the same place that John baptized Jesus. My chaplain at the Naval Academy, as Mark had said, you know, 18 to 23-year-olds running around. Now, listen, if you think you have some rules at IW, being in midnight or whatever it is, I can tell you it's a little bit more difficult at the Naval Academy. Those guys and gals are up at 0530 PT and working out. They've got, uh, they say it's a Harvard type of education, plus they got all their military obligations. Many of them don't go to bed until 2301, whatever time it is. It's not because they're out having fun. It's because they're getting work done. So if you think you got rules here, I can tell you it's actually a little bit tougher somewhere else. And I know it's hard sometimes to believe, but it is. Those guys and gals give and serve our country. They're going to be Naval and Marine Corps officers one day. I always like to say I have the largest college ministry. 500,000 18 to 24-year-olds are in the military. 
It's kind of fun when I go to a conference, somebody says, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a college pastor. And almost always, in Christian ministry majors, you'll understand this, almost always the next question is, how many do you got? And I said, well, I got about 500,000. How many do you have? You know, so it's, you kind of look at me like, wow, that's big ministry, you know. Something else cool I get to do, if you get that picture, if you would show it there of the football team. Yeah, so this is Navy, and I think it was Tulane at this game. Uh, get Just meeting at the 50 and being able to pray together. I mean, something just so cool that we get an opportunity to do for our men and women who are getting ready to go serve our country. We were 11-2 and two this year in football. We're number 18 in the country. Our quarterback was a Heisman candidate, top five. Had some other folks go to a Pro Bowl or to the uh, a Senior Bowl. Just had an unbelievable year. And people always say to me, Brian, is this your best tour? Is this the most fun you've ever had? I'll tell you, all four of my tours, from New Orleans to Camp Lejeune to Norfolk, Virginia, to now in Annapolis, have been awesome. They've all been great. But I'm going to tell you this. Probably the tour that was the best, yet the most difficult, was my tour to Afghanistan. 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines is who I served with while I was there. My responsibility was for about 1,000 Marines and a few sailors that were attached to us and about 400 family members. It was my job to ensure they were spiritually being taken care of, to build their spiritual lives because we knew what the possibilities were of where we were going. In February of 2011, we get to Afghanistan. We had about 23 patrol bases throughout a place called Helm and Providence. I don't know if you ever heard that. From Musakela to Nauzad and Sang is like a little triangle. They call it the Wild West there. So we did over 100 convoys and foot patrols, and I'm so thankful that we have chaplains that are able to go out and serve those who serve our country and wear our uniform. We go where it matters, when it matters, and with what matters. I was always quoting Joshua 1, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. Whether you go to Afghanistan or we go to Iraq or you come here to Marion, you go back to your dorm, you go out and serve in the community somewhere, you go out to your athletic teams, it does not matter. Be strong and courageous, not because of what we can do, for I am with you wherever you go. And God was investing into the life of Joshua and he invested in the life of Moses at the burning bush and over 40 times Jesus invests into the individual life, lives of people that he came in contact with. I'll tell you one final story. When we, were, uh, when we were there, we would travel around, I'd hold services, and almost always, the majority of the people would show up, whether they were spiritual or not. It didn't matter. As staff sergeant said one time, Chas, I'm coming because you just never know, and I totally understand. Well, I went to this one base uh, to hold a service, kind of a large base. I was expecting a big, big crowd, big numbers. One person showed up. Aaron Olam shows up. Can you show that picture for me? That's Aaron, Doc Olam, 18-year-old in that picture. Aaron shows up, and we're getting ready to have service, but the whole time I'm thinking about who wasn't there. Embarrassed to say that. I was more concerned about the people that weren't in the building instead of the one person that was there. So I wasn't going to hold the service. I was going to talk to him, see how he's doing. And something saw me said, hey, man, hold the service. I said, okay, I'm going to hold this. So Aaron sat right there about where Jennifer's at, and I preached, and he shook his head and smiled. And I don't know if he's listening or not, but he was such a great kid. He's like our little brother. He just shook his head and smiled at us, or at me. Had the message, and then we partake, or partook in communion. But before that, we had a confession of sin. We read it together. 
We had communion. He comes up, hugs me, says, Chaps, thanks for coming. You always boost morale. When in reality, he's the one that always boosted morale. The next day, they go on a foot patrol with some of the Marines, and they get ambushed. LT gets shot in the shoulder. He goes down. Aaron runs over to him. He's working on him. Aaron's smiling at him. Hey, LT, I got you. Don't worry about it. And he's working on him, and he's plugging the wound and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, you heard the crack of the bullet from the sniper. If you've ever heard one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Aaron was shot in the forehead. I'm in the COC, the Combat Operations Center, and I'm listening to this whole thing go on. I look at the corporal and say, Corporal, go and get HM1. He's the senior medical guy at that particular base. HM1 comes in and goes, hey, sir, what's going on? I say, hey, man, they just read the nine line, which is the information they give so we know who's who and what's going on. And Aaron just got shot. And they feel the pulse, and it's very weak. Well, we have a term in the military called hero, when someone dies on a bird as they're going to the hospital. Because it wasn't like you could just drive to a hospital four or five miles away. As HM1 are standing there, over the radio comes, we have a hero on board. Aaron died saving the life of another Marine. Now let me circle back around to 1997. Because some men were willing to invest into the kid who didn't fit into the crowd. They were willing to stop what they were doing and spend time with me. In 1997, in 2005, they didn't just impact my life. They impacted the life of my father for eternity. They impacted the lives uh, lives of those Marines and sailors that I've come in contact with and the college students who have given their life to Christ, they have impacted those lives for eternity. And in 2011, they impacted the life of Aaron Ulam for eternity. Because in 1997, they decided, hey, this guy might not fit in the crowd, but I'm going to invest into his life. So the question I have for you this morning Who in your life is the one person, the one relationship that you can begin to invest into today? Not everybody gets a chance to come up and speak in the masses or wants to do that. Not everybody gets a chance to lead a small group. But all of us know somebody, one person that we can invest into. A mother, a father, a friend, a roommate, a teammate, somebody in my class, somebody you may not like. A relationship needs to be rebuilt. See, when you invest in the life of one, you're investing into the kingdom of God. An investment that lasts for eternity. And you never know, 20 years from now, someone may be standing on this stage saying, it was because of you that I was able to invest in the lives of all these other people and make an impact for the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes the greatest moments for the kingdom do not come in large crowds but in small, intimate relationships where the only option is to love as Christ loved us. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes the greatest moments for the kingdom do not come in large crowds, but in the small, intimate relationships where the only option is to love my Father the way that Christ loved me. To love on those college students, those sailors and the Marines the way that 
Christ loves me. Put your own name in there. Who is it that you need to love onto today and invest into for the kingdom of God? What is that one relationship that you can invest into for the kingdom? Because that really is at the heart of the matter. Thank you.